This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Today, I want to welcome two notable economic and financial thinkers to Knowledge at Wharton. Jeremy Siegel, he's a Wharton finance professor, and Robert Schiller, a Nobel laureate economist from Yale University. Both have agreed to share their thoughts today on a topic that's getting increasing attention, and that is rising income and wealth inequality. Many economists have been talking about this topic for years, but it's gotten a lot more attention since the Great Recession began in 2008, which was followed by one of the slowest economic recoveries in modern times. The Great Recession just made the stats about income and wealth inequality even worse. Uh, The topic then seemed to go mainstream this year when the World Economic Forum at Davos noted that rising income and wealth inequality could be the most significant trend in world economic development over the next 10 years. That report, by the way, was put together by 700 experts. In other words, there's more agreement, finally, on the size and importance of this challenge. I just want to note that in addition to being awarded the Nobel Prize in Economics in 2013, Professor Schiller's book, Irrational Exuberance, was a New York Times bestseller in 2000, and it warned about the stock market bubble, which burst shortly after the book was published. The dot-com boom turned into the dot-bomb bust, and he correctly pointed out that the nation was in a housing bubble a few years later that could lead to a deep recession shortly before the 2007-2008 meltdown. Uh, including in the housing market. So Professor Siegel has also offered cautionary words about the tech bubble back in 2000, particularly about high-tech valuations, and he is the author of a book called Stocks for the Long Run, which was published in 1994 and which argued that stocks have been given a real return of about 7% for almost two centuries and thus are a solid investment over the long run, allowing at the same time that anything, of course, can happen in the short run. It should be noted that he's been consistently bullish on equity markets since the time of the 2008 crash, and that the Dow has gone since that time from about 6,600 in March of 2009 to above 20,000 or so today. Uh, Professor Siegel also appears regularly on CNBC, CNN, NPR, and many other TV and radio shows to offer his views on the market. Professor Schiller, you're our guest today, so let's begin with you. Do you agree that rising income and wealth disparity is one of the world's biggest challenges, including, of course, in the United States? I'm worried about the future, that if the trend continues, it could be the biggest uh, problem we face, uh, because inequality uh, ultimately harms our... Well, I'm, I'm worried that technical progress, uh, robots will be replacing common labor. And so is the World Economic Forum. Uh, They have a lot of uh, attention to robotics at the forum. Uh, When I was there this uh, January, they had some impressive new robots. (laughs) It's moving fast, and it's eliminating jobs. Uh, It hasn't been a, a real tragedy yet, but it could be in the future. Excuse me. Are you suggesting that the, that it's uh, that the disparities are a problem now, but that the the problems may accelerate because of robotics? The, the problem is that robotics is on the verge. It it seems of replacing 
many basic functions that labor produces now. Uh, there's so many examples. I mean, uh, this Christmas, a lot of people got their uh, Google Home or their Echo, uh, uh, Amazon Echo Alexa. And now there's another, it's like there's another person in your home. If you bought one of these, you can talk to her. You can ask her to put on some music to control something around the house or to order something. This is now. Uh, the question is, we just don't know where it's going. And the worry is that it will eliminate any source of income for some people who can't do much more with their labor than these things that are being replaced. Uh, Professor Siegel, what's, what's your view on this? I mean, one is that there's, there's a problem that's been brewing for decades, uh, and, that, and now Professor Schiller is suggesting that's going to accelerate because of robotics. But, uh, so, so there's two things, the, the problem up until today and then what we're facing in the future. What do you think about it? I think we need to separate out several forces. One is the growth of productivity itself overall, and the other is the fact that we've had a tremendous falling behind of the lower-income groups relative to the upper-income groups over well, much more than 20 years, 30 years. Now, to some extent, I think there, I think there is a relation, but we have to understand that relation. What worries me as the greatest problem as a long-term factor uh, is the collapse of productivity that we've had across the board since the Great, De- Great Recession. Um, productivity, uh, non-farm productivity growth used to be 2.3%, higher in expansions, higher when, uh, somewhat higher when oil prices are going down. We had an ex- a big expansion since 2009. We had oil prices going down and uh, it's 0.5.6%. We've never had it so slow. Um, And if we just had it normal, we would have wages up by 10%, 12% today, which is significant compared to what we do see. Is is it also true that over the last, I don't know how many years, that the percentage of, uh, of benefits from productivity increases that go to labor have diminished quite a bit, and uh, is, is yes. that a problem? Well, that, that's a problem of why has it diminished for labor mostly. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think there's several factors there, and um, we, could, we could certainly go into those with Bob uh, uh, if you want, but I could, I could start it out if you'd like. Yeah, sure. Why don't you give the headline okay. ones, and then uh, Professor Schiller, please weigh well, in. Well, I, I, think, I, I think some of the rise... The, the lack of a rise in productivity growth and real wages in the working class sector and below uh, has to do with globalization and the tremendous increase in the supply of labor worldwide that we've seen over the last um, 20 years. I also don't think our educational system is providing the right sort of training for people coming into the job market in the 21st century. 
Um, I, I think our school system is falling down on producing those sort of workers. Um, th- there are certainly other factors, and Rob might bring some up, and we might uh, talk further on this. Okay. Professor Schiller. Well, you were asking me what am I most worried about. <laughs> and so worries tend to be about the future. And uh, I'm, I'm actually chiming in with a, a worry that uh, Norbert Wiener, in his famous book, Cybernetics, I think that was late 1940s, he was a pioneer in computers, he aired it in that book that the, uh, I can't quote him exactly, but computers may replace uh, just about anything that ordinary labor can do. And then what do they do? What, what jobs are there for them? Now, he's been very controversial ever since, and it hasn't happened yet because uh, people are, the people in the bottom half of the prob- population are seeing their income stagnate, but not decline over the last 30 years. So it hasn't happened yet. Uh, but you were asking for big problems. You were mm-hmm. citing the World Economic Forum and what people there were citing as a problem. And that's a future problem that may or may not even happen. I, you know, I don't, we don't see the future very clearly. Jeremy is pointing to some current problems. Mm-hmm. And the, the slowdown in productivity growth is a puzzle. Uh, and, of course, education, yeah, I agree. <laughs> education could improve the situation currently. So uh, what would be some policies that might help to alleviate some of this. Um, it, it sounds like with the robotic issue, it's difficult to say because we don't know when it might hit or how big it might hit or exactly how it will hit. So that's that's a, a definitely a big challenge. But Jeremy, maybe start with you with, with the items that you cited. Um, are, are there some things that we could do policy-wise as a nation, either here or other parts of the world, that would, that would uh, ameliorate a lot of this. Well, f- first of all, the fact that the labor market, the working man, so to speak, which depends more on his physical labor, less on a skill set, we we would call that unskilled labor today. Um, I don't think we made good provisions for these people who really lost during the global expansion. And now this is certainly one of Trump's issues. Um, there were some little plans um, that were done, but I, I think we needed to do more because this was a huge social uh, issue. Um, the, the other thing is, again, preparing people for the right type of jobs. You know, our educational system is we, – we used to be number one in the United States in the, in the 60s. Now on international comparison tests, we're number 30, um, 35. We're, we're, we're in the middle, below some developing countries. This is an embarrassment for our country. Um, and, you know, just teaching, this, uh, you, know, you look at a, a, a program of learning in Germany of 1880, it's almost like we, you go mathematics, you go grammar, you go this, these little courses. Um, this is not 
the right way, I think that we need to teach our students to get the jobs of the future. So, so there's two points there. One is that uh, not enough was done for the people that were left behind. And is, would you say that uh, policies such as retraining could have helped with that a little bit? Well, that's a good question. And many of them were resistant. They, they were older. Older, you're more resistant. There's always a, a choice of trying to go on disability or Social Security when you're not really that disabled. We had a much bigger fraction since 2009 go on disability and Social Security than all our projections were. We had a much faster decline in the participation of the labor force than most of our projections were. So that shocked the system and accelerated what was going on and pinpointed the problems that we were having. And on the education side, it's, it's easy to say this, but obviously you have to figure out where funds would come from. But are, are you suggesting, is the implication from your point about education that we need to invest more at, at all levels of education? I, th- I think we do, and I, I think we do need it at all levels for the, for the bright people and for the people who had fallen behind and the people who need retraining and then they have no one but themselves to point to when they drop out, when they're you know, their good job of 30 years has disappeared. Uh, now, Professor Schiller, your your problem is a little more thorny in the sense that I think what you're saying is that we're not really sure what the outlines of it are, but it looks like it's heading our way, uh, but we're not even sure about that, and we're not sure about what it would look like. So how do you, how do you prepare for that kind of a problem or challenge? Well, uh, yeah, what I've emphasized here is that we already do have a system in place somewhat, that helps deal with inequality. It's our progressive tax system and our welfare, you know, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security. So these are already there. There don't seem to be plans to make them stronger. And it appears that historically, countries that face uh, rising inequality do not adjust these uh, uh, in-place systems toward redressing the problem. Uh, so there's a recent book by Shifan uh, Stasavage, uh, who uh, argued through history of data from many countries to look at what causes taxes on the high-income people to go up and what causes uh, redistributions to low-income people to go up. You might think rising inequality does that, but they said that's not it. The only time... our system becomes more progressive is wartime. And when we're fighting a war, people become much more concerned about low-income people. And for some years after that, uh, there will be a, a more progressive system. But, there, but it doesn't respond to inequality. So I think that one thing I'd like to do is see plans made ahead for what we will do if inequality becomes bad. Worse, much worse than it is now. And it would be a plan within maybe even the framework of these existing systems to uh, adjust the way benefits are defined, to adjust the taxes on, on the wealthy. But it would be a contingency plan made now, and it has a better chance of happening if it's done in advance. And it becomes much more of an insurance. Uh, you know, you have to insure your house before the house burns down. So we should set up a system to deal 
with the possibility of higher inequality in the future now before it happens. Nobody is doing this, but I'm saying we ought to. And so uh, this is, uh, I mean, in shorthand, uh, strengthening the social safety net is, I think, what you're saying. So that means that um, uh, there would be, uh, I mean, for example, would it mean, I should ask, uh, would it mean, for example, that if someone, a worker was displaced because of the, a cheaper labor overseas or displaced by a robot uh, and, and was unable to find a job or unable to find a job anywhere near what they were earning, that there would be uh, some sort of uh, uh, a guaranteed income or would they have guaranteed health care they otherwise might not have? Right. What, what would that look like on the ground? Well, we already have something like that. It goes back to the 60s and more notably to the beginning of this century. It's called trade adjustment, trade adjustment Assistance, which has been incorporated in a number of bills that have passed Congress and were signed by the president. Uh, so right now you can apply for trade adjustment assistance to a state agency in your state. Uh, you have to make a case that your job was, uh, was taken by a foreigner, is what it says right now. Mm-hmm. President Obama, in his uh, State of the Union address in uh, January of 2016, uh, argued that we should expand that into what he called wage, ex- wage insurance that uh, protects wage earners, whether or not they can prove that they lost their job to foreign competition. He didn't get it, mm-hmm. but that would have been a movement. In the, it's, it's somewhat similar to what, you know, along the lines that I've been arguing. Uh, Jeremy, you, I mean, you did say that, uh, that there should have been more done for people that were displaced by some of these global forces uh, which they had no control over. Do you agree with Professor, Pro- Professor Schiller's take on this about what kinds of policies could help? Well, I, I'm not as enthusiastic about tax redistribution. Um, I want to create more opportunities. I want to really train people into their jobs. I mean, distribution opportunities could come from so many different directions. Um, and I, I would prefer that route. Our tax system, of course, is already progressive. Um, Bob has noted that it's not all that progressive when we, when, we, when we actually get down to the data about how much income has increased, and that's probably so. But there, there, there just doesn't seem to be a good, respo- good response to handouts. Um, and 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 the rest of those people doing it or feel that it's taken to them and going somewhere else do not feel ennobled by that form of um gift so to speak so i i want to concentrate on the training and on the education um uh, and really rethink what is an undergraduate education what kind of skill sets are we giving them because we see so many of them having a hard time getting a decent job. And, um, you know, that should not be with the unemployment rate at, you know, 4.7%. Would this go, would this include a measure that would uh, reduce the amount of tuition that colleges charge today, for example? Oh, that's a big problem because I, I think that was a terrible bill. That, that, that bill was calculated on people 
wages already going, and they were much better students, honestly. Which bill are we talking about, just to be clear? Well, the bills that gave the the Pell Grants and everything else Mm -hmm. that eventually led to free, quote, end quote, outside the loan, Mm -hmm. um, uh, college education. I, I, I think, honestly, it was... Everyone seemed to be a win-win, the colleges, the loan officers, but now we see a lot of losses. Mm -hmm. These people are not graduating with the skill set. They're not getting the jobs to pay off their loans, Um, and um, the flaws of that are coming home to roost. I'm I'm not an expert on what to do about that situation, Mm -hmm. but uh, I feel that that's what's what has happened, and that was because of a flawed system. So, I mean, it seemed earlier you had said that uh, we would need to increase investments in education at all levels. Presumably, that might mean uh, yeah. measures that would not just change the curriculum in colleges, but would also reduce the cost. Is uh, that right? Well, certainly we can re- reduce the cost, but that we need to change curriculum to be more practical for most people. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's only a f- few people that really gain a tremendous amount by purely liberal arts, so to speak, curriculum, Mm -hmm. especially if they took out a loan to go to college. They want a good job afterwards. And um, I think it's, I I, I think we need to form, uh, you know, these calm training schools or whatever. That's, I think, what we need to do because there are good jobs going wanting out there uh, on on issues that uh, uh, the average college student has has no idea of. Uh, prof- uh, Professor Schiller, what would you say are the main constraints or barriers to uh, to um, moving forward with some of the ideas you were talking about just a little while ago? Well, yeah. Well, Jeremy hit it on the head. People don't want handouts, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe. Yeah, when you campaign on on taxing the rich uh, and giving the money to the poor, it, even the poor they don't uh, they have self respect and they don't vote for that. On the other hand, some of these, if it can be framed properly, it represents something that isn't viewed as a handout. So one of the examples is education. If we uh, give free education to poor people, uh, that doesn't sound like a handout, does it, <laughs> to their children. But it is a redistribution. If somebody is paying for it, it must be paid for by higher-income people. Uh, and but, we but have that. that. But they're not uh, getting the jobs. Right, That's what improved. I'm saying. They're not getting the jobs that former students and graduates got. The average wage of the graduating students has gone down, and it's because of the great increase in those students that it's supply and demand. Um, well, I, yeah. I, I think that's, a, uh, that's one of the factors. The problem is that education might not do it. We don't know whether that will. Yeah. I'm worried that it's not going to be solved, this problem. It's gonna, we're going to have great social unrest because a lot of people are just not doing well. Well, I think part of what we've seen in the, you know, the Trump election, Brexit, and all that is uprising, reflecting some of that, 
problem. The question is, is is it going to accelerate? I mean, I'm still basically believe that productivity growth is a very good thing. And it it does increase the opportunities. Uh, but if it's focused just on a very narrow, narrow set, that, excuse me, that brings about a problem. The people asked me, and you brought up, Bob, robotics and how fast our workforce will deplete. I like to give the following example. I don't know. I would like you to comment on because I respect your, your view so much. Primitive man basically spent all his life uh, hunting for food and finding minimal shelter for his family and his, or you know his companion and him to raise a family. That was like eight hours a day. Now, with wages in developed countries, that same minimum set, I heard, is 45 minutes to an hour a day. Now, you're not going to get foie gras <laughs> and truffles, but a minimum set of nutrition, probably even better, and minimum set of of, of standard living, which means that we work over seven hours on just our own enjoyment above and beyond that. That's the history of mankind over the last thousand years or so. And that's resulted in about an 85% you know, elimination of what was the standard job. Bob, what do you think? Uh, yes, that is a definitely a good thing. No <laughs> question about it. And it, it's worked out fairly well. Uh, we have less need for that. And, in fact, society has already made adjustments. Uh, what I think is really striking is that it's basically in the last century that we've seen uh, people retiring and then spending the rest of their life not working. Yeah. The median age for retirement within our social security system is 62. The life expectancy uh, of, of people is about 80. Uh, yeah. So that's like 18 years vacation. 18 yeah, years we never had vacation. anything approaching. That's unprecedented in, in world history. That's correct. And, and I, I think we've adjusted to it. We're, we have social security. We take care of these people. I mean, they, they, they can enjoy good food. I mean, it may not be, Social Security is not so generous that uh, you eat foie gras, but you can eat yeah. much better than your caveman. Yes, yes. So we, we've already, I, I, I didn't mean to be too pessimistic. I think that we're going to see a lot more leisure in the, in, in the next century. Uh, and maybe we'll find some meaningful thing to do. The problem is people need a feeling of that they contribute, that they're working. Uh, we have to find some way to assure that they're not starving, they're not left out, and that they have found something meaningful to do. And I'm hopeful that we will. Well, thank you, gentlemen. This has been uh, very we interesting. We end on an up note. We That's end on good. an up note, and uh, maybe we can get you back uh, in a year or so and see how these uh, topics are progressing. So I uh, appreciate it very much. Thank you. 
For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.